You're listening to the B2B Content Show, a podcast about the how, what, and why of B2B content marketing. The show is brought to you by Conversa, a podcasting agency that helps B2B brands start podcasts to connect with prospects, grow brand awareness, and create better content. I'm Jeremy Shear, and my guest today is Tom O'Malley. Tom is founder and CEO of Current, which is an open source knowledge platform. Tom, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. Say a few words about Current, about what an open source knowledge platform is. Yeah, well, it probably wasn't needed in decades prior, but as the world speeds up, we need new ways to capture what we call fresh knowledge, and that is the knowledge that resides within groups of practitioners. And so what we focus on is helping both companies and professionals assemble groups of, call them experts, but people that are passionate on certain topics that impact business and bring them together and host very curated discussions that then turn into both insights as well as potentially even content. So knowledge creation is the process of moving tacit knowledge into explicit knowledge, and then packaging that in a way that it could be shared. Okay. And the, the, you mentioned the phrase fresh knowledge, and that's what I want to talk about. Like on your website, you in, are sort of inviting people to join the fresh knowledge movement. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit before when we were preparing for this interview, that there's a lot of kind of blah content out there a lot of content that calls itself thought leadership, but is really just recycled stuff that you've seen a million times. And so, so you guys are really trying to address that issue by offering yeah. what you're calling fresh knowledge, right? So, so let's, let's dig into that. What is yeah. the fresh knowledge movement? Well, you know, think about this, that if you were to look at the content that are taught at universities, that grows only at about 2%. If you look at content that is on like online platforms, MOOCs, that grows about 9%. And then you look at other pathways like social media and whatnot. The reality is all these pathways aggregate to about 12% um, growth of call static knowledge. But change is happening at about 30, 35, depending on what hmm. proxy you use. The death of companies is a good proxy. Like how often does the Fortune 500 flip? It would indicate that things change at about 30 to 35% per year. So we have this gap, like there's knowledge happening that's not getting captured that is increasingly more important because what we say is that ideas, people, teams, companies, they're all expiring faster and faster every year. So unless our pathways for capturing knowledge, you know, increase, <laughs> that gap just gets bigger and bigger because this, this line is arcing, right? And so you, another way to think of it is machine learning is going to be the, uh, the arc at the top, right? Think of that as artificial learning, right? So artificial learning is, is surpassing human learning. And one of the key things about learning is being able to identify where the knowledge is, pack it, you know, bringing it together and converting it from tacit to explicit and then being able to share it. So unless we start improving the mechanisms in that wedge, we're not going to be confronting, or we're, let's just say we're losing a tremendous amount of value. It means that knowledge is, is being shared in very small pockets. And before it's even captured or shared, it, it's expired. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, 
and so fresh knowledge then is let's just sort of define that term so yeah. we know what we're talking about. Yes, the fresh knowledge is being able, it's the ability to capture what would otherwise just be not shared or captured, right? So like a, a fresh knowledge movement we say is like, let's embrace bounty systems. Let's embrace new mechanisms that identify the right people, bring them together in really constructive ways to then package up the insights so that the knowledge can be shared or distributed. If we fail to do that, okay. then it's just knowledge that sits in small pockets and then dissipates. It, it causes knowledge disparity. Fresh knowledge would be the opposite of that. It's, it's being able to produce knowledge efficiently in a way that it can be shared. Okay. And so this is sort of, it sounds to me like this is premised on the notion that the most valuable knowledge is the stuff that people carry around with them inside their heads. Yeah. That they've accrued over time, experience to their own particular yeah. experience, and that you're offering a, a mechanism to kind of capture that and yeah. make it available to others instead of it being disseminated in a totally haphazard fashion, say, by people, you know, talking with each other, but not in any kind of organized way. Is Am I on the right track? Yeah. Let me give you some examples. Like a real okay. basic example that, you know, continues to come up. It's like a daily need right now is how to market in the metaverse. Like you think about all the hundreds of thousands of brands out there. Behind each one is a brand manager wondering what is the metaverse? And their their knowledge of how to market in the metaverse varies from zero on up to call it 10. But most people are still way back closer to zero. The topic, if it was answered on Wikipedia, would expire in probably about a month, meaning marketing in the metaverse is moving so fast that it doesn't matter that if, if, if somebody captures it and puts it in a textbook or somebody talked about it on Reddit a month ago, what you really need is a, a, an exhaustive look at it and relook at it uh, on a regular basis from credible people that are actually doing it. And I think that's the point is that when you get out to these bleeding mm. edge trends, you have to get to the practitioners that are actually doing it. Those practitioners don't have time to stop, document, educate, you know, they're not in universities. They're out actually performing. So how does one that needs that knowledge ever going to tap into that? They don't happen to be sitting next to three people that are, you know, on a daily basis that are actively marketing in the metaverse. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because otherwise you could, of course, Google marketing in the metaverse or best practices for marketing yeah. in the metaverse, and you'd get a whole bunch of stuff, right? Stuff. Including stuff. But your point is that that stuff, it very well might be outdated or it's just yeah. a very inefficient way to try to get to the bottom of it. Or let's face it, the internet was born for extroverts. The internet really is, this this version that we think is so omniscient, it really is a celebration of, of people that like to write, that people like that like to talk, that are have a knack for storytelling. They're not necessarily people that are practitioners working in the spaces because the real people that are hands, elbows deep in stuff they're not taking time to write blogs. They don't have time. And if they did, you would only be hearing from the people that are doing that for a particular reason. Why? To grow their reputation? Great. Is it for the passion of the game? Maybe. But I just think that the internet is biased in general. And that it was really the version of the internet today is really designed for the self-promoter, not for the learner. So the content that you're going to learn out there or that you're going to gather, chances are it's outdated. Notice getting dates on content is really hard. And so it's tough to read mm -hmm. what's, what's real. It's tough to detect bias. It's unvetted content written by people that are self-promoters. Yeah. Okay. 
as opposed to what you guys are offering, which is yeah. right, putting together these panels of yeah. practitioners who now let me yeah. ask you another question, because mm-hmm. ostensibly you could do something similar by connecting with these with pra- practitioners and asking them to write something or even interviewing them and then putting it in written form or something like that and making Mm -hmm. that available to, you know, Mm -hmm. your customers. What's the advantage of instead bringing these folks together on a panel and having them just have, have, have a discussion? Why is that important? Well, it's, it's the incentive, right? And so the incentive of coming together as a group is far greater than coming together to just take my information or, so if you ask me to come for an interview, I'm going to ask like, okay, what's in it for me? It's a waste of my time. You're going to offer me a couple hundred bucks, big deal. You know, I don't need it. My job, the time I spend, you know, I charge 300 bucks an hour. Why am I going to, you know, I can make $300 an hour by doing my job. Why would I explain it for a hundred dollars an hour? So really the mercenary is not who we want to attract anyway. We really want to bring the people that are leaning in on the topic and have a desire to learn. And that's really the ideal people that we want to learn from are those that want to share what they know with other people that share their passion such that they also learn from them. So, so that's, that's the benefit of bringing people in groups. They vet each other's ideas. I mean, anybody can mm-hmm. say anything on a blog. Anybody can say anything on a podcast, <laughs> but they need to get yeah. checked by their peer, by their peer group. And, and this is not a new idea. This is how knowledge used to be created. This concept of peer review used to be a standard. Mm-hmm. It no longer is. Now it's advertiser mm-hmm. or sponsor review. Hey, that's not a credible place to start. Yeah. Okay. That, that's really interesting. And that, that speaks to something that, that I think about quite a bit, which is sort of the nature of conversation and the kind of knowledge that you can generate through conversation. I mean, you mentioned podcasts, right? And actually, one thing that I value quite a bit about podcasts, especially the kind that we're doing now, interview style, is you have two or more people like exploring an idea together, right? Yeah. And you mentioned vetting, and it's it's not like there's like a uh, it's not the same as peer review, or there's like an official you know peer reviewer. But but in this kind of context, even what we're doing right now, I mean, I could say something, you could you could push me on it. You know, or you could question mm-hmm. it or maybe mm-hmm. not, maybe not necessarily agree. Or even if you do agree, add on, add something to it mm-hmm. that helps me better understand my thought, my initial thought. You know what I mean? Yeah. That there's, in yeah. other words, and, and I think the same exact thing applies to what you guys are doing and that in bringing people together and enabling them to engage in conversation, you have, it, it's a particular kind of d- dynamic and enables those watching or listening in to learn from them in a particular way that's quite different and arguably maybe more valuable than, say, reading a blog post, you know, co-written by all three or something like that. Mm-hmm. What, do, what do you think about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, another, another key like element to this is working asynchronously, meaning real-time meetings mm-hmm. also favor a certain personality type, people that are quick on their feet that aren't afraid to speak up. When you put things in asynchronous mode, meaning typing, and more of a form, like a forum, a facilitated forum, what it does is slow down the thinking. And you actually want that. You want Mm. people thinking more critically. And you also, when you 
get to writing it, now you can start integrating new things like AI to augment people's posts while they're even typing. So you can sort of put people in an Iron Man suit and adding tools around what they're doing in real time that help them think more clearly or make their point better. Maybe English isn't their first language. You know, maybe their schedules just don't permit them to be on a meeting at a certain time. Maybe they're in a time zone that doesn't favor them to interact. So we really like the asynchronous mode of, of peer engagement. I know it doesn't sound that sexy. It's kind of like a facilitated forum. But the fact that it is facilitated means that, you know, there's somebody in that's, that's curating that dialogue, that somebody is keeping a healthy balance. And, and you see that on podcasts. You see it on, on Twitter spaces. It's mm-hmm. a necessary ingredient. You need a, you need a referee. But asynchronous really is a key component of, of knowledge share. Interesting. So how, so how does that work exactly? How does the asynchronous knowledge share work? Like what are the mechanics of it? I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. I mean, if I were to take you through sort of the whole process, I think you'll, you'll get it more clearly. So imagine, let's say you, let's say you're a, a brand manager and you want to better understand how the needs of your market is shifting. Maybe you're developing a, a product that you intend to market to, to the Web3 community, whether it be NFT, a collectible, but let's just stay in that, in that realm. Well, you need to put your head in the mindset of your, your buying market. So what our platform, what our platform does is that you can source, you can source those people. So there's actual AI bots that goes out and search the web for people talking already about the topic that you want to engage upon. And then we're simply just inviting them the opportunity to come together and knowledge share together and build on their working knowledge. So, so believe it or not, we'll get 50 to 100 applicants to come into these really passionate topics. And they, they have financial incentives as well. It's never going to change their life. But there's recognition and gamification. But what, the, what they're motivated by is the opportunity to knowledge network. And we, we think this is a key component mm-hmm. of of really the future of building one's profession and continual learning is people will lean in for opportunities to engage with their peers as long as they really believe mm-hmm. it's legit and they're not just, you know, being used. So once you select your, your audience, your panel, and, and Jeremy, this works from oncology to chief financial officers to building managers in Japan to clothing designers in France, we've done over 600 different engagements. So literally people of all professions need to come together in knowledge share and we're providing them that opportunity. Meanwhile, the client is going to enjoy the benefit, right? And so the sponsor is the one that's, that's managing the opportunity and therefore designing the scope of it. Now, when they come together, they're coming Mm -hmm. together over a period of days, weeks, or months, depending on the scope. So you can imagine like something that I know a lot about that I just want to vet or validate might be four chapters, four 24-hour long chapters. In the first chapter, let's talk about needs. In the second one, let's talk about alternatives. How are we solving for this, right? In, in the third chapter, you might talk around benefits. What needs to be true about the future and finally get to how do we get there? What's the course of action? What's the reality? That flair to focus design thinking structure has been used over 600 times on the platform. And whether that happens over a period of four days, four weeks, or several months, it's still the same process. And so people are literally typing their answers, and then the facilitators responding and provoking and trying to create a healthy tension among the panel, meaning get them to Mm. debate, find the crux of the problem, 
and, and sort of push people at it is the role of the facilitator. Now, what you might not be surprised to learn is that a lot of what I just described, finding the people, even responding to people, augmenting, giving them other ideas, a lot of that is, is now being bot driven. So I'd say up until last year, we were probably 40% bot, 60% human. We're probably flipped that already, 60 to 40. And we think that in the next few months, we'll even be more like 80, 20, 80% bot. So we're blurring the lines of human and, and, and bot interaction. And, and so that's what that collaboration feels like. Everybody feels a little bit smarter in the forum because the forum has these tools for them to make mm-hmm. their points clear or augment them with, with third-party support. Um, once the ideas are there, the facilitator just needs to distill that using some other tools. And believe it or not, the reports are generally written by bots today. So you can, mm-hmm. you can, take, you can take AI and just use it alone, something like ChatGPT, and yeah. you'll get what the internet knows up until 2021. But if you mm-hmm. want to be current, <laughs> you're always going to have to get to where the tacit knowledge is, the stuff that hasn't yet been published. And that's what we fix, is that the fresh knowledge, there's always going to be fresh knowledge in people's heads that people aren't going to have access to, even though AI is great and can augment all that. It's The knowledge is still in the practitioner's mind. Yeah. And it's not static, right? They're con- they're, the practitioner is constantly learning new always things and rethinking and, and so on. So it's okay, dangerous really? to go on vacation nowadays on a lot of topics and a lot of professions because you come back and you're already out of date. <laughs> the good news right. is it doesn't take you too long to, to get back on, on pattern. So, you know, this makes me think that many organizations, most organizations maybe have their internal subject matter experts, right? And, you know, I've often thought that any, any business's greatest asset, one of the greatest assets is the knowledge that lives in the minds of the people who work there, right? And if it's not captured in some way, when those people leave, it's just gone and probably, yeah. you know, gone forever. So what, what's your take on that? Like, what's your advice for really any organization that is maybe listening to this and like, yeah, yeah we really should be tapping into the, you know, the experience and knowledge of our own practitioners, how can organizations do think, that Jeremy, more than they already years, are? Yeah, 10 years ago, I probably would have agreed with you that your company's largest asset is, is the knowledge. I think it's changed, though, and it's changing every day. Mm. I, I think what it is is aptitude. A- aptitude is more mm. important than knowledge today. And so I'd rather have a, a team of really fast learners, um, people that can self-teach, mm. Than people that know a lot based on years of knowledge, because all that old knowledge ex- is expiring. I'm not saying experience, experience interacting with people, experience of you know network, professional network is still critically important. You know, and you get that as a veteran, as you know, you acquire that over time. There's no, there's no cutting short on that. However, the knowledge piece is so fluid nowadays. So what I would say is like the opportunity for people today is to realize that. Knowledge is extremely fluid, and most companies have the problem of decision makers being too far removed from the market. And therein lies the opportunity. If you can get strategy, product, and marketing teams actively engaging with the market, you will build a competitive advantage. And if you do that together as a practice, you'll learn faster, you'll move faster. That to me is the definition of an agile company today, getting strategy, product, and marketing learning together 
directly from the market. Now, when you do it, you'll get three ROIs. One, you'll feed the strategy and product teams full of insights that they can go implement. Two, you can leverage that same interaction, take the content from that interaction and breathe it back into the marketplace. So you'll be pushing, your content will be more empathetic. You'll be saying, this is what we're learning. That's the kind of content that works. Thought leadership does not mean thoughts coming from you. It means your understanding of where the thought is in the market. And so mm -hmm. the, the ability to quote the experts on an ongoing basis, it's a great podium to stand on because you're saying, look, we're not saying we're the experts. We're saying we're listening. We're saying that we care about the problems, we, the, where the unmet need is. We understand mm -hmm. what needs to be true about an ideal solution. So the second tier is not just the insights, but the content. And the third thing is the great thing that you can get out of interactions with one market is relationships. You know, it's, it's almost silly to think that we wouldn't connect these things in the past. Why would we do research and then not try to engage the people that we talk to in that research to actually be customers? Why would we interview people for content and also not engage them? You can do all three things at once. You can learn from them. You can build content from them and you can turn some of them into customers. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So, so much fascinating stuff. There's so much to unpack, but we've done enough unpacking for today. So just one final question, Tom, how can people connect with you? Yeah. So current.com. Now remember we're a tech company, so we can't have all the vowels. It's C-U-R-R-N-T.com <laughs> is a great place to start. But also hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm really active there. So uh, yeah, Tom O'Malley, you put in current, you'll find me. Okay, awesome. Well, Tom, thank you so much for your time for a really interesting conversation. And to all our listeners, thanks for tuning in. That's it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who you think would be a great guest, let us know. You can contact me at jeremy at conversa.com. That's C-O-N-N-Versa.com. The B2B Content Show is brought to you by Conversa Podcasting. Check us out at conversa.com to learn more about how we help B2B brands start podcasts to connect through conversation with the buyers and decision makers you need to get to know to grow your business. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.